0: One of the surest signs of the presence of the Church is love of enemies for the sake of Christ. We are most godlike precisely when we will the good of those who hate us. And I use this term godlike because this isn't exactly a moral obligation. It's not a commandment exactly, uh, something that can or should be used to browbeat us into Uh, being exploited by our enemies, for example. Rather, it is an invitation to take seriously the new life that we have received in baptism, to speak forthrightly with the confidence shown by Christ himself. At times you hear it said that uh, this love and forgiveness for enemies was maybe easier for Christ uh, because he knew he was going to rise from the dead. But we know this about ourselves. So what's the difference, really, if we take baptism seriously? We already partake in the divine life. We have been promised to share in Christ's resurrection. The injunction to love our enemies is an invitation to experience the life of God, both in this confidence, but also, I should say, in a certain disappointment in being rejected. We shouldn't think that Uh, God is indifferent to the fact that many people don't know him and reject the good news that he sent. And we share in this disappointment to the extent that we share in this love of enemies. In the Old Testament, we heard the story of David this morning, this very beautiful story of David refusing to lift a hand against Saul, who was hunting him down to kill him, by the way, at this moment in the story. Elsewhere in the Old Testament, we hear the prophets reminding the Israelites that they were once slaves in Egypt, and that this experience, this memory of slavery, should give rise to a zeal for justice for those who are oppressed, for the laborer, for the slave, and the sojourner. And in the same way, we should call to mind that, as Paul says, we were once God's enemies. It's not just those people out there, but it's all of us. And at that very time when we were God's enemies, God didn't abandon us. Rather, he saw fit to offer his only Son to reconcile us to himself. And now that we are his friends, St. Paul goes on to say, we can be even more sure that we shall experience the freedom and joy of salvation. And again, to the extent that that freedom and joy is missing, we should ask ourselves, do I, do I really work at willing the good of my enemy for that matter, even my brother and sister. You know, do I really love my neighbor who doesn't hate me? Remembering, calling to mind what God has done for us is the incentive that we have for loving all of our neighbors, even those who are far from God. And after all, you know, we share the same, neighbor, the same nature with our fellow human beings. And so no matter how strange or off-putting a someone seems to be to us, We're closer in nature to them than God was to us when he reconciled himself to us. Mind you, again, this doesn't mean uh, that we can't correct or reprove those who are doing wrong. Uh, But we have to do this in real genuine hope of their conversion and salvation. It can't be something that just makes us feel morally superior or something like that. That's easy to do. Not sure that counts as love for enemies. Uh, it may be better than indifference, but uh, we want to go all the way and really will the salvation of all the people we meet. And so to hope for this, to hope for this conversion, means that we have to believe it's possible. We have to do some work of inner change. We have to do some work of imagination, what it would look like to have our enemy reconciled to God. So St. Augustine encouraged us in this. He said, uh, you know, we don't know whether the person who appears today to be our enemy is not the brother or sister that we will gain in the kingdom. So we have to see each person we meet as a potential brother or sister for eternity. God wills that all be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, and this is what we should desire as well if we want to be sons and daughters of God. So prayer for our enemies, this is the best way to change the way we think and feel about them. So whoever it is, uh, that's the biggest burden for me in my life, the, the person who's the biggest obstacle. That should be the person I'm praying for the most, uh, not, not only for myself, so that I can see that this person is uh, God's invitation to be like God. Uh, it's easy to love our friends, much easier, right? Think of St. Stephen interceding for Saul. I'm going to channel St. Fulgentius of Ruspa now for a moment. St. Paul, imagine him going to eternal life. There is Stephen greeting him in loving gratitude for Saul's conversion that Stephen prayed for when he was dying. Saul was there consenting to Stephen's murder. And here they are brothers. And think of St. Paul greeting Stephen in loving gratitude for his forgiveness, for him giving him another chance, for interceding so that Paul might be converted. Now, again, I'll just say I'm, I'm not unaware that the, the challenge this poses because we live in a world where political tensions mean that friends are often suspicious of one another. It's hard enough to stay friends with people. Uh, I've been saddened to watch this polarization going on over the past, uh, I don't know, I guess I count five or six years, but it's going on longer than that. But, you know college friends unfriending me. I have to keep a Facebook uh, page because it's attached to our monastery page. The college friends unfriending me because I might hold the wrong political views. They don't ask. They just assume because I dress the way I do and I'm a Catholic and uh, I, I teach the church's teachings that I must have the wrong points of view. And so we have to be suspicious of each other. But we have to resist the temptation to strike back in anger or frustration Or even, I think, and this is uh, the really tough part, with arguments proving that we're right and they're wrong. Again, this isn't to say we shouldn't offer testimony to the truth. What I mean by this is that our testimony is only good, as good, as the love that we manifest for them. So one hopes that the presence of a monastery here in the city is this kind of testimony to love and patience. Because... Uh, God doesn't necessarily bring together friends to be monks together in one house, but he brings together, he calls together men who then are challenged to become brothers to each other, to learn how to do this, to learn how to love. Our vow of stability means we have to work at loving these men that we're with, the, the men we share the cloister with. We have to be open to receiving all kinds of men from different types of cultures and so on. Christ has welcomed us, into the life of the Holy Trinity. May we learn to welcome the stranger, even the enemy, into our own hearts, to broaden the affection of our hearts so that we can become all things to all so as to win as many as possible to Christ.